0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. You're watching Squawk Box and these are your headlines this hour. Inflation in China hits an 18-month low. Prices at the factory gate fall for a sixth straight month. This as demand remains sluggish following the country's economic reopening. Well, Asian stocks are higher, that on dovish signals from the Bank of Japan and the Bank of Korea as investors pin their hopes on looser monetary policy in the region, even if the Federal Reserve continues on its rate hiking path.
1: US stocks closed flat in the first trading session following Friday's robust jobs report, with investors now poised for tomorrow's CPI print and big bank earnings, which kicks off on Friday. A Chinese tech giant Alibaba unveils its answer to ChatGPT with plans for integration across all of its apps, with the CEO of uh, hailing generative AI as a watershed moment in technology.
0: So a very warm welcome everybody, uh, welcome back Karen, nice thank to you. see you, have a good Absolutely. break.
1: Yeah it was lovely, thank you. Very
0: good, nice to have four days off yeah, I in can. a row.
1: Yeah there was
0: a lot of sunshine here as well. There was, <laughs> it's been such a miserable spring, it really right. has, so some sunshine is yeah. a bonus here. But it feels like we're back in Goldilocks territory and wherever you look it's either too hot, too cold or about just right.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was just in the United States, obviously, and one of the big issues is inflation, Mm. what that print looks like this week, and I've got to say, things were expensive. It didn't feel as though you'd seen prices cool that much, and again, it could just be at a higher level, but that's the challenge we've got this week. We've got the CPI numbers coming hot on the heels of the non-fund payrolls report, and I think that jobs number was a real gear change for a lot of investors, thinking that we're done with the bulk of the rate hikes, we're close to the terminal level Uh, from here, you know, what comes next? Perhaps we're not going to get a hard landing because the jobs numbers are still so resilient. So the CPI numbers I think could be absolutely fascinating this week.
0: Well it's very interesting you say that. We'll get into that a little bit later on because I might have a bone or two to pick with you about what was buried deep in that jobs number but we'll we'll come back to it later on because I want to pick up on what you were saying about a little bit hot in the United States, The Chinese data would appear to suggest it's getting a little cool as far as the Chinese inflation is concerned. Consumer inflation growing at the slowest pace in 18 months in March, rising 0.7% on the year. This is demand in the world's second largest economy, apparently remains weak, underlying an uneven recovery. Producer prices declined at the fastest pace since June 2020. Sam joins us with analysis here. And Sam, the, the the data out of China at the moment is difficult to pick your way through here. Evidence perhaps that there is a domestic recovery going on, albeit not strong enough to generate higher inflation.
2: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Good morning to you, Jeff. And you were spot on about the Goldilocks analogy, and now I'm getting hungry thinking about porridge. But while most countries are battling soaring inflation, China is certainly dealing with the opposite issue, because what we've seen is those prices actually cooling off more than expected when you look at the consumer side of things, the 0.7 percent. And that was the lowest reading we've seen since September 2021. And this is largely a story of falling food prices, which makes up for a large chunk of that CPI basket. And so uh, what we've seen at the factory gate uh, is cooling as well, actually the sixth month of deflation. So this came in bang in line with expectations of two and a half percent, but that was still uh, falling at the sharpest rate since around June 2020. So what this data is certainly telling us is that this is further confirmation of an uneven recovery playing out here uh, over in China. And it does certainly point to persistent weakness when you look at domestic demand, because if you look at the core, which strips out that volatile food and energy at 0.7 percent, and that could potentially be problematic from the perspective of China trying to rely on the domestic side of the equation right now to mitigate some of those softer exports. But as you clearly pointed out, and what many economists have been noting today is that this is a little bit inconsistent with some of the other sort of alternative data you could say that people have been looking at in terms of mobility and catering. Just people who've been in China looking at how many people are on the subway. People are out again uh, eating hot pots. So perhaps in that sense, maybe this data is a little bit backwards looking. Let's have a look at the April numbers. But uh, certainly this does paint the picture of a weaker first quarter than perhaps the markets were expecting. And that is maybe why we seen this reaction uh, today. Now, when you look at the manufacturing side of things as to why we got these falling prices at the factory gate once again, you only have to look at export growth, which has been slowing and also this persistent weakness uh, in the property sector to see what's happening there. And so what we're seeing is the sort of rebound that we are seeing on the consumption side of it is not reaching the upstream sectors. Now, what does this all mean uh, for stimulus? Well, certainly these numbers today, um, there is some suggestion that this should continue to keep the PBOC more accommodative and should allow them to have more headroom in order to ease if needed, although we do know that there are still some constraints around monetary easing at the moment. Just rewind a month back and there was a lot of speculation in the market we could see a triple R cut. We have since seen one of those. There is a suggestion the market perhaps is in a bit of a wait and see mode to see if this softness is temporary or is here to stay. If we do See any easing? There has been some suggestion that perhaps it will come after that GDP print, which we'll be getting next Tuesday, guys. So that's what to look out for next on the economic calendar. Ter- you.
0: Terrific, Sam. Thank you so much for that. And I think talk of hot pot has now got us around the desk here in London feeling a little peckish, but we'll leave you to your porridge. Uh, Louis Kaus joins us, Chief Asia Economist at S&P Global Ratings. Louis, good to have you with us on the program here. So What we're finding out, it seems, is that there is recovery going on in China, but it's very domestic and it doesn't seem to be leveraged significantly on a strong external international growth at this point. But is the Chinese economy actually um, uh, structured in such a way that there is sufficient domestic demand to allow this recovery to grow
3: and develop? Yeah, that's a good question. So, you know, as as you say, um, a lot of the or all of the recovery is domestic because the external position is still quite weak. The external picture, we are expecting this, you know, consumer and service sector oriented recovery, and I think we're seeing it in terms of the all the activity indicators and the high frequency indicators. The inflation data in China is always a little funny in the sense that China continues to be. You know, a a, a a production-led economy, as you indicate, the the, the share, the, like the weight of the of the consumer and of consumption, is not yet very large. And so we we also continue to have a lot of, you know, policymakers keen to increase the supply side rather than the demand side. So yes, we have a consumption-led recovery, but it is not leading to the kind of demand-led price pressure that you sometimes see in other economies.
0: Um, Debt still clearly remains uh, uh, an overarching challenge here and we've got household debt, we've got debt within the property sector, we've got debt at the provincial government level, debt within the state-owned enterprises. Wherever you look it seems there is a challenge for the authorities when it comes to managing that debt and I think as we traditionally look at that, it would be stealing growth from the future in a sense. Can can the authorities actually keep a lid on these various debt-related challenges and continue to provide some impetus to growth by encouraging the banking sector to extend lending?
3: Yeah, so definitely debt is an issue. You know, please keep in mind that the debt in China tends to be to other parts of the Chinese economy rather than to foreigners. So it is, you know, there is a lot of talk and worry about financial sector instability implications. And so that's why they are trying to keep an eye on that debt and that leverage. Um, And indeed, at the, what they are looking at at the moment is that they don't have a very ambitious growth target because they feel as soon as the recovery is on track, we want to start paying more attention even to that to that leverage. We are trying to encourage it now, but once the once the recovery is really, uh, you know, in uh, in in a good state, we're going to again focus on these various types of debt because they are worried about it. Even though I would say uh, the fact that they owe all these debts to each other rather than to the outside world is putting them in a bit of a different picture than, say, the the average uh, emerging market.
1: Louis, as we talk about this uh, two-speed economy now with the services sector strong but the manufacturing still weak. I know many people are looking at what the impact is for the factory to the world given we've got uh, still the inflation challenge and concerns around what happens with the economy uh, after we've had this debt issue in some of the big banks uh, from the United States to, to Europe. What do you make of those orders now still rolling through for manufacturers in China? What sort of demand story should we be anticipating from here?
3: Yeah, you know, indeed, the, the demand story that for the average factory in China is at the moment still not that great because those foreign orders are so weak. You can see it in all of the survey indicators like the purchasing power manager index and things like that. So we have, you know, as as, as you say, we have pretty decent uh, recovery. People are eating hot pot again. They also are starting to, you know, they travel, they do domestic uh, 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 tourism. They even start to go outside again. We are seeing international travel also picking up. But you know, if you look at the average uh, manufacturer, the average factory owner, the situation for them is not that great because of that uh, internal. Sorry, because of that external market being.
1: I think Jeff and I know what we're having for dinner tonight after all the hot pot discussions. But uh, can I ask you about the tightening labour market too? There is a a feeling out there that the the labour market will start to improve later this year, which could also nudge those inflation numbers along. What do you make of just how tight the the Chinese labour market is at this point relative to what we're seeing elsewhere?
3: Yeah, I think there is a very similar situation relative to the, you know, to, to other places with regard to the labor market, as we see with regard to prices. China continues to be a place where supply is quite well, you know, developed compared to demand. And that is also true on the labor market. So we don't I would say we don't really see the kind of labor market tightness. You know, in, in the Western world we had people withdrawing from the labor market. Most people in China would say we don't have that luxury. So there is still, you know, an underemployment uh, that will keep a lid on wage growth because, they, especially the type of wage growth that we see, you know, migration, uh, people interested in factory employment, these kind of things, wage developments are still pretty pretty weak, and we need to see quite a period of strong growth before the labor market is going to be tight.
0: Louis, one of your, your colleagues um, uh, wrote a terrific piece, uh, beth Bavino. Uh, Bovino, uh, U.S. Uh, financial fragility for U.S. households and businesses, the highest since uh, the GFC. I thought it was a terrific piece, but what I think in context of the question for you, in the other side of the world, as it were, is... Is that financial fragility in the United States going to have any further implications for Asian borrowers at this stage? Because the consequences of the banking issues we've just come through are clearly a tightening in credit conditions in the US and perhaps an unwillingness to extend credit to um, other parts of the world. I think cross-border lending may begin to contract a little here as financial institutions become concerned about their own security and safety. I just wonder whether you've got any thoughts on that, whether it's going to get harder for Asian borrowers over the next 6 to 12 months to take money out of the US
3: system. Yeah, it's another good question. You know, we definitely over here in Asia look very heavily at what's happening in the US and Europe on that financial front and as you say, we see that, you know, like credit conditions have tightened in both places. The feeling over here is that you know, in terms of direct exposure or even the kind of contagion from what's happening in the U.S. and Europe, we are a little bit buffered over here. Situation is a bit different. There's not a lot of direct exposure. Um, what what matters uh, for the situation here is also. How does this change the way that the Fed is looking at you know interest rates? So some people have pointed to these you know, that little bit less hawkish outlook for the US Fed kind of being a being a good thing for currencies over here. And so I would say most people here in Asia feel that there's not a huge amount of negative impact so far. Now, that could change if we are going to see the U.S. economy slowing down as a result of all this turmoil. And that would definitely be, you know, a channel via which we also here in in Asia uh, will will feel the pain from that financial turmoil.
1: Louis, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Louis Kals with us, who is Chief Asia Economist, S&P Global Ratings. Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-Wang says China's military drills around the island are irresponsible acts for a major country. This after Beijing began three days of military exercises over the weekend, in an apparent response to President Tsai's visit to the United States and her meetings with U.S. lawmakers. The drills also prompted Japanese officials to respond with the country's defense minister, describing them as, quote, intimidating. French President Emmanuel Macron is facing criticism after he said Europe should not become a quote, vassal in tensions between the US and China over Taiwan. The French leader made the comments after his three-day visit to Beijing. He added that it would be a quote, trap for Europe to get caught up in crises that are not ours.
0: So we're going to take the break. We'll be back in just a moment. Asian stocks um, looking a little perkier here on dovish signals from the Bank of Japan and the Bank of Korea. But what does the outlook uh, look like for the rest of the week? We'll have more on that when we come back.
1: And for more on China's inflation data as well as the latest market action, you can check out the Sportbox podcast. A look at U.S. markets, and you can see it was a mixed bag as investors and traders returned after the long weekend break. The Dow pushing higher, up about a third of a percent, uh, slightly in the green for the S&P, but weaker for the Nasdaq. And again, this is a wash-up on the back of those Good Friday numbers. Investors seeing that we had still some firm support in that market. 236,000 uh, jobs created during the month. This was uh, above the what 230 odd thousand anticipated, but it did mark a slowdown from the pace above 300,000. saw a month prior. I think what was interesting was that unemployment number. We saw that rate pick up to 3.5% versus 3.6% prior and also expected. So the market just seeing a glimmer of hope that perhaps we have still got strength in that labour market to shield the US economy from slowdown. The big question is whether this is just or lag and whether the tightening credit conditions on the back of the banking crisis is something that is still yet to hit the labour market. So it's a mixed bag. Investors now rolling on to numbers tomorrow around CPI and that will be instrumental for the mood music on Wall Street and big bank numbers that start uh, later on this week as well after all the turmoil we've seen in the uh, market for many of those big financials. Let me take you to the big uh, picture on Treasuries because we are seeing repricing. The uh, moves that we saw around the jobs number still has the market anticipating a 25 basis point rate hike come May. That's priced in about 70 or 200% chance. But what comes next? Investors closely eyeing that number that we get from the inflation print. If you look at uh, the two-year, we are traveling now just shy of that 4% mark. So there's been some movement, 3.83 and we uh, closed the Friday prior. So we have uh, certainly picked up uh, since those levels as we now track around that 4% mark. In terms of the yield on the 10-year, 3.40 where we are tracking. Dollar coming off a little bit uh, in the morning session bid back in the market with sterling and euro both up more than two tenths of a percent dollar weakening versus uh, the japanese yen some softer commentary from the central bank there the bank of japan and as you can see on uh, dollar yuan uh, slightly supported there bitcoin this is a trade on hopes that uh, we are getting to the end of the road on monetary policy so again the uh, calls on bitcoin on crypto will be interesting this week on the back of the inflation data but through 30,000 points or 30,000 dollars for the first time since june the market also also picking up a little bit as we put a bit of distance between the banking crisis of recent weeks. The Asian markets are digesting a lot of that Chinese data. Chinese market is weaker down four-tenths of a percent. We do have a firmer trade there around the Japanese market, Tokyo stocks bouncing up almost 350 points about a quarter of 1%. Australia supported a little bit of action around some of the big gold miners in the country Jeff.
0: Thanks very much, Karen. Um, Longer dated JGB yields are retreating after the new Bank of Japan governor Kazuo Ueda showed no sign of straying from the country's ultra loose monetary policy. Ueda, whose term as BOJ governor began on Sunday, said it's appropriate for the central bank to maintain its policy stance as inflation has not yet hit 2% as a trend. Well, Ueda also expressed confidence in Japan's lenders after recent turbulence in the global banking sector. In the United States and Europe, there was a growing sense of unease against the background of management problems at some financial institutions. But the rapid response of the authorities in each country has spread the recognition that this is an individual problem. I think the market is regaining its composure. The uh, new Bank of Japan, Governor Kazuo Ueda. Well, South Korea's central bank has acted in line with expectations. It's held its policy rate steady at 3.5% for the second time in a row. The Bank of Korea says economic growth will slow more than expected this year, below its earlier forecast of 1.6%.
1: Shipments of Apple Mac computers fell 40.5% in the first quarter of this year, with the company's share of the PC market also dropping to 7.2%. That's according to data from research firm IDC, which found all top computer makers suffered from falling consumer demand. Apple shares fell in yesterday's trade after the report, which follows a more than 28% drop in Mac revenue on the year in the last quarter of 2022. Well, shares in, a chipmaker Micron jumped after Samsung Electronics announced plans for chip production cuts. Samsung announced on Friday it will cut production to a quote meaningful level after previously resisting following competitors in reducing output as demand softens. Uh, So some signaling function here, no doubt, from what uh, we are seeing from these majors. Uh, Samsung, uh, don't forget uh, the forefront of a lot of the chip production in recent years, and we're just hearing it across the board in terms of a lot of these consumer devices, that there's been a reset. Uh, Again, this very long COVID demand story has taken a couple of years to play out, but it seems as though we're at the point now where it has really hit the chip makers.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting story story I mean obviously the the connection between the move in the micron share price and the announcements from Samsung is a little bit dog whistle it's all about the cycle Uh, it is a cyclical business we know there's been a glut and oversupply and the minute you get the uh, leading manufacturers of semiconductors say that they're going to reduce capex and output inevitably that should lead to some improvement in prices down the road and some tightening in supply but 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 that's a slightly longer story than the immediate knee-jerk rebound here and i think it's worth just dwelling on the eye of the storm that is the semiconductor industry at the moment because going beyond the knee jerk reaction to the announcement from samsung there is the bigger picture at the moment the the way that the united states has imposed restrictions on leading edge chip technology on china and the fact that just a a week or so back china actually um um signaled a review a security review of micron because Micron is based in Idaho in the United States, and this is an opportunity uh, to poke the US back when it comes to the semiconductor story. And off the back of that announcement, I think Micron saw quite a significant decline in its share price, down about 9% on the announcement. And so what we've had is, I think, a little bit of opportunistic um, uh, a bargain hunting, perhaps, and also the announcement about a reduction of supply going forward here. So I think opportunistic for, for those who think there is still plenty of um, um, uh, a gas in the tank for the semiconductor sector. But it's it's an interesting space to be because you just don't know what the next political announcement is going to be is going to mean for any of these manufacturers and therefore their share prices.
1: It's funny you use the term gas in the tank because I was thinking this reminds me a lot of the oil market where you have a couple of major producers that effectively decisions they take resets the price. Yeah. And already you've had Micron, SK Hynix and now Samsung Electronics make the same decision to cut production. The next shoe to drop obviously is a TSMC, what they do as well. But if they all the majors cut, then it puts a price level, a floor under the price of chips, doesn't it? It starts to elevate that price. So a little bit like what happens on the oil market with OPEC uh, but I think one of the other problems here is still that uh, consumer demand story away from all the geopolitics away from the long lens of who has the chips and where they're going to make it uh, you've still got numbers industry numbers what Gartner's saying that uh, they expect the devices segment to decline 4.6 percent in 2023 that's yeah. declined so not even slow but to fall which does indicate why you're seeing such strong action from these companies
0: yeah and it's the rebalancing of the market that's going to be interesting here because uh, Micron has a manufacturing operation in Xi'an. It it has a big uh, China manufacturing base. It uses Asia as um, a source of manufactured product, like a lot of um, global chip makers here. But the reality is that China's only about 11% of sales now for Micron, and it used to be more. So again, you know, falling in in line with what we're seeing with a lot of other um, industries at the moment as that whole post-COVID Outsourcing and resourcing and reshoring is going on here. I think we're we're seeing the same thing take place to a certain extent in the semiconductor space. Yeah, if you think
1: about that's a great context. I think if you think about why Samsung might be making one of the moves in terms of uh, saving money, you need to make sure all the metrics work, that the pricing level is right around chips in the market, but also that you're not wasting your own money when you've got money to deploy elsewhere. And if you think about the announcement we had what just a number of weeks ago, last month, Samsung saying would invest. Uh, $228 billion and a new semiconductor complex in South Korea. So again, that the, the home-shoring story playing out at Samsung.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to
2: cnbc.com.
1: Or join us again on this show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.